0: Welcome, everybody, to the podcast Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Preville Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners. Family friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Hey everybody, thanks for joining me on this episode, What Men Want in Relationships. And I have a conversation with a friend and colleague, VJ Director. I've known VJ for... Almost 20 years, and to tell you a little bit about Vijay, he lives here in Black Mountain, North Carolina, has had a private coaching and consulting practice for over 25 years, specializing in emotional release, healthy relationships and intimacy, sports performance, meditation, and business issues. He also started a natural living store, a non-denomination, non-profit learning center, and arts health and spirituality magazine, and a therapy training program. He is celebrating 30 years of leading support groups for men and he hopes to complete his first book shortly. In our conversation, we talk about the need for women to understand men's shame and feeling of inadequacy and the need for affirmative acknowledgement, appreciation, as well as, yes, non-sexual touch. Men actually really want non-sexual touch as affirmation of love and support. We also have conversations in the areas of men's challenges with anger and healthy masculinity, and men's needs for softness in complaints versus harsh criticisms, and a whole bunch more. So. I hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, this is going to be a sweet conversation because you and I haven't had a long conversation in uh, in some years, Mm -hmm. even in about this subject. Even though many years ago we uh, worked together on some men's gathering and. I've always really been inspired by your work and really respected and just love being around you. So thanks mm. for saying yes to this. My pleasure, thank yeah. you. So, what men want in relationships? I mean, we both work with a lot of couples and, w- and you do a lot of men's work. And and as we were talking about earlier today, a lot of that is changing over the years. But w- what, do, what are you finding that's some central aspects of what men want in relationships. And we're going to focus a little bit more on uh, heterosexual relationships right now. The most important thing that men are looking for
1: is validation. You know, if we're going from that model that, you know, if the core emotion, as neurophysiology has shown us over the last 25, 30 years, is that men's core emotion is shame men are looking to be in relationships and be in spaces where they can avoid that shame or have that shame healed in some ways can i give you an example yeah okay Mm -hmm. so a personal example of that was when connie and i first started dating each other which was probably about 23 years ago and we had been dating for a few months and we had known each other from, we'd been in trainings together for three years, but when we first met, she was uh, married and I was in another relationship and we were friends for a few years and then life unfolded and her marriage ended over the next few years and then eventually my relationship ended and we just kind of looked at each other and said, hmm, are we going to give us a shot or not? And it was a little scary because we were both very involved in the training that we were in, and recognizing that if things didn't work out, it could screw things up with the with the training in our place in the training, and and it make the place not, feel not so safe anymore. So it was a little scary to give it a shot, but we decided to go for it. And a few months in, it was incredibly sweet, the first few months together, and it still is. 23, but, years. Yeah. Twenty-three years, yeah, yeah, and and then I remember there came a time where she was living here in Asheville, and I was still on Long Island in New York, and and we would see each other once a month for maybe some. We would take turns; she would come into New York, I would come down here, and we would have really intense three, four, or five days together. And there was one time where immediately when we started hanging out, I knew that something. I'd never felt this way before. And the connection that we had was something I had dreamed of, the depth of intimacy, the way we related, the way we played together, some incredible similarities in our spiritual paths, which was really unusual for me to find out that her path was so similar to mine. But I, at a certain point, my shame started kicking up, which I think is a pretty common thing that I notice in relationships, especially Mm -hmm. It's sort of like whenever somebody gets something that they've been looking for for a long time, whether it's a relationship or a job or a house, that sooner or later there comes in some shame that says, hey, do I deserve this? Yeah, feeling of inadequacy. Mm -hmm. And so I was feeling that with her and I was getting scared and, and I noticed myself in so doing that as my shame kicked in, I was in some ways pulling away a little bit I wasn't quite as present um, with her and I realized it's like you know this is kind of the pattern that I've done in a lot of different ways in my in my all my relationships and I don't want to continue this I want to do something different because if I keep if I don't do something different with this woman it's going to sabotage things and destroy this mm-hmm. so I summoned up my courage and I just looked at her and I just said I need to share something with you. And she said, what's that? I said, I'm really scared. And She said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'm just, I'm just, things are going so well with us and I'm, and I'm really enjoying this so much, but I can't help but think that something's going to screw up. You know, you're going to find out something about me that you just really dislike or that you're not comfortable with. And, you know, whatever. And she said, "Well, do you have an idea what that is?" I said, "No, I don't really. You know, it's just you know whether you're just not going to like my farts or, or something. And not that we hadn't been <laughs> farting together already. <laughs> we started pretty quickly. That's it. Get it over. With. We did that pretty quickly. I'm right. Yeah. Uh, so did we. That's one of the that's that's yeah. one of the signs of intimacy. Exactly. But she just looked at me at a certain point. I just you know I just find there's something about me you're gonna you're gonna find out that you don't like. And she just looked me right in the eyes and she put her arms around my neck and, and she just looked and she said, you can be just as scared as you are. Mm-hmm. And a, a part of me just melted. It was like, wow, you know? She's not fixing me, but she's letting me be me and telling me and encouraging me to just be myself. And that's the validation that I'm naming. Right. You know, I think that's what everybody's men particularly are really looking for
0: Yeah.
1: with a partner. You know, I mean, you know, there's always going to be, depending upon the age of people, it makes a really big difference. Yeah. Younger people are going to, you know, sex is going to be a more important part of the, an mm-hmm. equation. Whereas we get a little older in our 50s and 60s and some guys who are really, you know, high testosterone people, sex will be really super important. But for most men... By the time we've hit our 50s and 60s, sex might
0: be important, but it's less important yeah. here. Companionship is. And I believe the non-sexual touch has been always important for men throughout the age groups because through me and the work that I do, I always hear men say, you know, when I'm doing something, if you just walk by and you just touch me, mm-hmm. while I'm doing something on the computer, I just feel, that just sets me. Boy, yeah. I just, just love that. And a lot of women don't really understand the power of that, mm-hmm. That power of that validation That touch is like I I love you, I approve of you. I want I like that you're here. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Touch is extremely powerful and
1: you know, the whole idea of sex is gets so confusing for people to begin with. Uh, you know, as some people Mm -hmm. that's, you know, touch for for so for, you know, a lot of men, I think more than women. As a culture, I think we're often very touch starved. Yeah, we're touch starved as men men and and touch phobic at the same time. So you know, if a woman just puts her, her hand on her arm, all of a sudden, in for a lot of men, that equates to, oh, she wants me. That's right. And that's not exactly always true. <laughs> that's right. But it does feel good. Mm. And we know that it feels good. And touch is really underestimated, I
0: think, in our culture
1: yeah. for how important that is. Mm-hmm.
0: So when, you, when you're when you working with couples, I know when, when I am, I am just want to check in with you that, that aspect of touch and sex, when a woman says, look, you know, I really don't, every time I touch, I don't want to have sex. It triggers off. Mm-hmm. But one part that I don't know that if that's going on in the relationship is maybe there's not enough touch. If there was touch more frequently throughout the days, and I don't think that that would be coming up in the relationships as much. Yeah. Yeah. And and
1: also just to even be able to to talk about it. Right. You know, because it's there's not a lot of communication about touch and sex, and it's just okay. Well, what does that mean when you put when you touch me?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Does it mean you want sex? <laughs> no, not necessarily. Oh, okay. Right. Oh, well, that's that's good for me to know that. It's good information. And for some guys, you
0: know, it won't be enough. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of guys, it would be. And a lot of that is that, like you said, the validation. Because I I look at it, it's interesting. Sometimes when I hear women talk about how much they need connection before they have sex, Mm -hmm. and of course men feel connection when they're having sex, one aspect of getting appreciated and praised and validated before sex is like the woman's connection before sex. I don't think enough men ask for that or Mm. have that in a life of like showing up in a nurturing way by being approved of and being appreciated before sex mm-hmm. so that the whole performance and all that other aspects that come into men psyche about how they should show up yeah yeah you know? it's interesting you know i've had a,
1: some real teachers of, of relating for me in my life and john lee has been one of them with his works, Osho, my my favorite spiritual teacher, um, is has been there a lot. Ramdas, Pat Love, so John, I think he's got like up to nineteen books or something like this, but one of his books, which is often it doesn't get the notoriety that some of his other books do, and it's not I don't think it's the most profound book he's ever written, but it's called "Courting a Woman's Soul," hmm. and it's really about remembering the beauty and the importance of courtship and getting to know somebody, which we've really lost in this culture. And it's funny to me, you know, where with, even with Osho, you know, who was, he became known in some ways as the sex guru. And there was an awful lot of sex at some of his ashrams at, at, at different times. But I've also heard different people who have been around him a lot say, you know, that it, in his ideal world, of tantra as he called it tantra would be waiting to get to know somebody mm. a little bit more it wouldn't be diving right into sex physical contact with somebody right away it would be taking a few months to get to know somebody before getting into sex and i feel like you know in our culture where it's like this you know this third date mm. thing right you know it's such bullshit and right. it causes so much discomfort and pain for people and a lot of the work that I do with men, especially if they're coming out of relationships, I really encourage men to take some time before diving back into another relationship, which men historically don't do very well. Right. right? Yeah. Um, most men, not all men, but most men, you know, they get out of one relationship and boom, they're into with somebody else really quickly. Why do you think that? Why do you think men tend to do that? Um, I think for most men, it's really hard for a lot of men to be alone. Mm-hmm. And to me, I don't limit it to men. I think for any fully grown adult, for most fully grown uh, mature adults, an important lesson is to have some time to, to learn to live alone and yeah. be on their own. Right. Because, Take care of their own needs, yeah, their own emotions. Yeah, so you come into a relationship being much less needy right. than you would be otherwise. And I mean, the same that's part of the same reason why I support men's groups and women's groups is because, you know, particularly after a relationship ends, men generally fall into women, as they say, Mm. and either as as friends or whatever. And to me, I've done both myself and I've watched a lot over the years. And it's a a real importance for men to fall into men Mm. when a relationship ends. Instead of going to women for their emotional support to learn to be able to use the, and uh, nurture relationships with men that support them, and to use that time to fall into men f- for their emotional needs, and to see that they can get those needs met without going to a woman for them. Right. And this way, when they take, when the time comes, when they're ready, you know, six months, a year, to start dating, they're nowhere near as needy as they would be. Mm and they can stand in their own,
0: on their own two feet. And, and they have it. the support when they need it In the, when they're in a relationship, because right. a lot of men don't have that. It's amazing, a lot of men don't have that natural support system to be able to go and have a good friend, to give perspective when there's no connection here in their relationship. It's challenging to be able to find that in their men's connections.
1: Yeah, uh, and it's, I mean, there's also, for me, there's a little sadness in this in that I'm in my 30th year of being with them around men's, men's groups. And it's a very, very common that men, are, you know, <laughs> there's a comedian named Rita Rudner. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's mm. a really good stand-up thing. And, and she basically calls men, you know, single men, she says, are basically bears with furniture. <laughs> 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 and and there, there's a certain truth to that. Uh-huh. You know, not all men, but a lot of men, especially when they're new on their own. And, you know, for men to learn to be able to reach out to other people and to stand on their own two feet and to be supported by other men makes them so much more stronger in relationship. But what ends up happening is they'll leave a relationship. That's what gets men into a men's group in the first place. Grief of some kind or some sort of a loss or the threat of loss. Right because otherwise men will just be bears and just keep going on in their lives and, and it's not till some something major happens that they'll make changes or they're threatened with something changing. And then they'll come and they'll some, do some work on themselves and they sh- they grow a little bit and they make some good positive changes and then they get into another relationship and not all the time, but often then they don't come to the men's group for a while. Right. You know, because right. now everything's taken care of. I got all my needs taken care of right here. And to me, that's that's the opposite mm-hmm. of what's true. It's like if we're going to have a, a good relationship with another individual, we have to have some support place to be able to go and to take our stuff to so that we don't dump it on
0: that particular person. Yeah. And I think it's just wonderful for being around other men that actually really support the relationships too. What I mean by that is, I love being around friends that I can talk very positively also about my relationship with my wife and really support that. Mm-hmm. And uh, not just poo poo it and, and so forth, but not just um, you know the locker room type talk and talk about other women in a derogatory negative way, that men really talk about it in a mm-hmm. very respectful way. Yeah, And I don't think enough men have those kind of men around them to keep them focused in that way. I think that's very true. So I know another thing that, that I know men really want is they call it manipulation-free relationship or a manipulation-free partner that's not going to manipulate, criticize, be passive-aggressive. Do you find that that's a a big need of men to feel safe?
1: I think that's a really big need of men and women in general, you know, and you know, one of the things that's really helped me is one of John Lee's teachings is he calls it the, the nine ways that anger leaks out sideways. Instead of it being direct and saying, Hey, I'm angry about this. It comes out in judgment, criticism, teaching, preaching, analyzing, demeaning, demoralizing, criticizing. I think that's nine. I don't know how many I got, but that's how it leaks out. And so it's really helpful for me to have that piece of information because every now and then I'll catch myself with, with Connie and I'll, I'll just say, wow, I'm, I'm judging her. So what's going on? Oh, so John's thing is, the nine ways that anger comes out sideways. Oh, judging, yes, that's one way. So let me check this out, so am I angry? And whenever when I'm in that space, almost every time I check it out, the answer is yes. And the anger may or may not have anything to do with her. You know, it's just, she's there and she's a target and I'm feeling angry about something. And so, that's liberating for me because if it's about me, I can change that. Right, yeah. So if I can have that awareness, of, oh, you know, oh, look, I'm angry. And I can look in her and say, hey, you know, I'm angry. And she's like, what are you, you know, do you know what you're angry about? I thought, I'm, well, I'm not exactly sure, but you know, it's just been a bad week and you know, whatever. Then it becomes my responsibility to deal with the anger and to go say, well, you know, give me a little while. I'm going to go and go out to the car and yell and scream for a little while or I may go downstairs. We're lucky we have an office set up with all these toys in it and pound some pillows or scream or whatever I need to do to move this anger out. And then once I've discharged that, I can come back to her and be in a much better space
0: and a clearer space. And I'm, and usually I'm not gonna have, I'm not gonna be so judgy. Yeah, cause I think that's probably the worst part for a woman is to be able to be the witness or the brunt of a man's anger. Absolutely. You know, I, that's most of my clients and the women really talk about, I can't have the anger that I have in my relationship. And I think that comes from a visceral aspect for women. Women have been prey in society for thousands of years. And when a man gets angry, Blood flow goes to his muscles, and our voices are made to roar to mm-hmm. intimidate. Mm-hmm. And I think, even though she may not believe he's going to harm, viscerally the shutdown of safety. Absolutely. And also, what I've learned that the sexual arousal part of a woman's brain is very close to that feeling of safety. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm sorry, it's the fear center that's so close to the sexual arousal. So when she's feeling fear from anger. It's not so easy to all of a sudden lay on, a few hours later the next day want to have sex with that guy that right. just got angry with her so dealing with men dealing with their anger is so vital in this culture mm-hmm. yeah. yeah there's been so much trauma just laid
1: on women because of that and and you know you know unfortunately we do it it, it works both ways in the gender you know it's like unfortunately you know, for most men, and this is, this is really changing with different generations. Whereas most people I'm, I'm 62. Most people in my generation and older, um, with some exceptions, but most of us grew up in a world where it was not okay for us to express fear or to cry, you know? So, I mean, I may have seen my father cry once, in my life. And I was already probably in my twenties when that happened. So I grew up with the, the the modeling that said it's not okay for men to cry. So and, and men cannot feel their sadness. So what ends up happening is whatever feeling that's coming up for us, we will shift it into anger, which is socially acceptable. So it was okay for men to get angry and express anger, but, we were really, a lot of times, just feeling sad. But because since we can't exp- express the sadness, it becomes it comes out in anger. Or well, we can't express the fear, like the, the Marines, pain is just fear leaving the body, you know, which is the way they hook young men into yeah. joining. They should be ashamed of themselves for doing that, by the way. This- Yeah, man, you go, this, say, it, say it, that, right? It, it becomes, is. this is a default, that we end up going to the default emotion. The same way that women, you know, a lot of women, again, especially here in the South, it was not okay for them to get angry. So they could cry. And so a lot of times they're feeling angry, not okay to get angry, so they're gonna cry. And John Lee calls this dousing their their fire with their tears.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it doesn't really heal the emotion that we're feeling
0: doesn't really get addressed. And that's the old adage, and sometimes men feel manipulated when through a woman's tears, right? because it's not coming out directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you gently invite women, I'd say gently, because I think that's one of the routes, to gently invite women to actually be able to be with a man's sadness? Because again, if, if she's not, he's gonna shut down and he's not gonna show up in that vulnerability. Well, that's a
1: really great question, you know, and you know, it comes down to this whole idea and understanding, you know, we were this piece by Pat Love about understanding the differences between men and women from a neurophysiological point of view, where if the core emotion that neurophysiology has shown for men is is shame and the core emotion for women is fear and that the problem with heterosexual relationships is that most men don't understand and appreciate women's fear and most women don't understand and accept men's shame you know they'll say something to us and they'll and they have no idea that perhaps how big a trust that they're breaking and how long it's going to take us to feel safe with them again and vice versa of course you know just even you know I'll look at men sometimes and you know, it's a common thing where driving in a car and the man's driving and the woman says, You know, hey, slow down. You're going a little too fast. And and the guy says, Oh no, I got it. It's okay. You don't question my manlyhood. Right. Exactly. And at the same time, what he's doing is he's now invalidating her emotions and her telling fear. her that her fear is not right and he's got it under control but she's already starting to pull away and her safety with him is, is is pulling away too. So we're all suffering because of this. And so, you know, as Pat would say, basically the, the work for, for men is to understand and accept and validate women's fear. And for women, their work is to understand and accept and validate our shame, our feelings of inadequacy and to understand. And women, I, I've talked with women about this and I'm, always been so surprised at how shocked they are cuz most women have the feeling they see men as thinking that a man could walk into a room and he thinks that 90% of the women in the room are going to want him <laughs> and yet the reality is in my experience with men that there are some men like that yeah. but it's about 10% yeah and the other 90% can't believe that any woman ever wants to be with us that's right
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I heard this one time that men are biologically inadequate. When a man ejaculates, millions and millions and millions of sperm go out, and maybe one of those suckers are going to make it. You know, <laughs> so this is a, like there's a biological aspect of hmm. inadequacy. And mm-hmm. I, but I think you're right. It shows up so much that it's it's not the narcissism male figure that is really dominant in the culture. It's the opposite. It's right. the inadequacy and the shame.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah you know again you know in, in
1: 150 years they say men and women will be able to relate to each other about the same way that men relate to men now and women relate to women and again 150 years seems like a long time but in, in a historical perspective it's it's gonna it's a blink of an eye so it's pretty amazing that they are getting that way and i think younger people today are to me they have not that they don't have some things that drive me a little crazy especially with you know addictions to the phones and things like this and and to social media but in other ways their relating reflects that it's much better Hmm. you know and younger people are racially much more accepting of each other and their genders are much more open-minded than even our generation was and our
0: generation tried and they really want more equality they want more equality and sense of uh Work and uh, mm-hmm. chore descriptions around mm-hmm. the house and so forth. Mm-hmm. So a lot more desire for that. And that's world.
1: that's gonna help all
0: male-female relations mm-hmm. in time. All right. And you're right, when we were talking earlier, there is this spectrum of difference, not only from uh, uh, years of culture differences, but even with age. I know as we get, I'll speak to myself, when I'm getting older and approaching 60, What I want for my woman is not the aspect of her being a go-getter in the world. I I want her to be here and nurturing and listen and give me emotional intimacy. And and I don't know how much that is in the younger generation as opposed to adventure and compatibility and uh, trying to achieve goals together. And that's an interesting aspect of what men want differently in relationships really depend also where they are in their lifespan.
1: Yeah, this is, this is where the work with David Data gets really interesting to me. And I like some of the work that he does. Some of it doesn't sing with me at all. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But I think that there's a really common thing today, especially with the younger people in their, and I say younger people, I'm talking late 20s, 30s, maybe early 40s, where there's a very common theme that I see in art and in my clients and in the world, I don't know if it's just Asheville or if it's everywhere, women, especially as they're having children, the big question for them is, is this guy gonna show up?
0: Reliable, is he gonna be reliable? Exactly. Yep. Is
1: he gonna be here? Am I gonna you know, have to be the breadwinner and the mom and take care of everything here? Am I going to have like another kid to take care of or is this guy going to show up as an adult and be here and be a partner for me? And that's a really big question for men today, especially mm-hmm. younger men. Questions for them to be able to answer. Right. Am I going to be, am I going to show up? Yeah. And what does it mean to show up? Mm-hmm. That's a, that's the biggest question that I see. And it's really common. And I've seen a lot of relationships end. You know, even there's a, there's a commercial out today right now that I saw that I think is a really profound commercial where you see a woman, there's a, she's moving furniture and it's talking about how challenges and of living together are, are so great and exciting and everything. And then at the very end of the commercial, you realize she's been with her girlfriends helping her move and stuff. And the last scene and the thing is she said to which Gary really failed. Mm. And there's this guy sitting here with, you know, one of these video things on his, you know, <laughs> <laughs> virtual reality, yeah, virtual thing, reality thing in this yeah. empty room. She's, she's, <laughs> probably, she's emptied out the whole place with all the furniture and he's sitting in the one chair and that's left yeah. in the place with the virtual reality. And she walks out the door and sort of says goodbye and he doesn't even hear her and turns off the light. And all of a sudden he looks up and what's happened mm-hmm. and she's out the door.
0: Right.
1: That's real. That's real. Yeah, you know, that's a real question of what's happening in the culture today. So this is where David data stuff to me is valuable because I think that there is a certain part of women that are craving for man to show to show up and bring the masculine side of themselves mm-hmm. with us. And I know it gets into a whole big question and people some people don't like the whole idea of masculine and feminine. Mm-hmm. But to me, it was Jung's theory and it still has a lot of validity that all of us have an inner masculine and an inner feminine and there's a certain balance point that works for us. And and each person is different.
0: If a woman usually is asking men to show up in reliability, what do you think, common theme that men are asking women to show up in?
1: Well, that's the other part of David Data stuff is that the men are, are asking the women to bring the feminine. And to bring softness, softness, and, and nurturing, and nurturing,
0: yeah. and compassion, right. and soft startups when they complain, not hard criticisms, right? Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. giving them slack, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and su- yeah. support, or right. just to know that they're there. Right. And I think that that works well when a man's being reliable. If he's showing up, a woman's going to be more apt Absolutely. to give all that exactly, yeah. and
1: that's and that's the gain, mm-hmm. you know, and in that way you know, I couldn't remember one of my first therapists saying to me, you know, the man has, the man has the penis. And he was talking in a, in a Jungian way, you know, the man goes outward. It's a man's job to start, to initiate, to get things going. And women want that. They don't want to have all the pressure and all the responsibility to do everything. And they feel enough pressure and responsibility, just being a mom and being a wife. And the, and it's like, when it comes to dinner, they want the
0: men to take care of dinner sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's asking too much. And especially just to even initiate the contact about relationships. Like you plan the date, you start planning the connections and make those initiatives mm-hmm. of how we're going to connect. Mm-hmm. It seems like a difficult
1: thing, but it's really not, you know, no. to me it's very, it's, you know, I work with men in this way of saying, okay, so what's an example of owning the masculine? So owning the masculine for me was like, well, Connie mm-hmm. says to me, "What do you want for dinner?" And it's really easy for me to go. I don't know. What Sometimes I'm like? tired, you know. I really and I, I really don't know. But in general, it's like it's easy for me. That's the the passive side that I'm sliding into, and that's I'm losing my connection to my masculine when I do that. And so recognizing this, I'll say, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, I could do Thai, or I can do Japanese, or I can do Italian." And she goes, oh, let's do Italian. I said, okay, great. And when I own the masculine, then it allows her to slide
0: into the feminine. Mm-hmm. She's asking for that, mem- yeah, mem- exactly, right.
1: yeah. And it's really important that you know that I name something, you know, because it's not it's so important that I get what I want,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: But it's just important for me to ask for what I want. And right. to me, that's the biggest example, yeah. Of owning the masculine, you know, and and this has been going on for centuries. Right. Rumi has one of those beautiful poems, you know, The Breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. We must ask for what we really want. Don't go back to sleep. And that's from the that's from the thirteenth century. Mm. You know, so it was an issue back then and it's an issue now. It's like ask for what we want. Right. And for us, there's so much codependency in the culture that it's so difficult for men and for women to be able to ask for what we want.
0: And men want that from women. When we ask, what do you want? We want to be able to know the answer so that we can give it, as opposed to, I don't know, you're supposed to know the answer. I know many men, they want a direct answer. They wanted, what do you want? What do you need? Tell me what it is that you want. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes complicated after that of how they'll provide it if they will. And then I think for women also, one aspect is I hear, and you probably hear this all the time too, how do you feel? Tell me how you feel. And that's usually not a masculine energy for a man to, to show up and tell how he feels. Because one part, if he really does say how he feels, it may not be received from a woman. That's the vulnerability standpoint. Hmm. So I think that that's interesting for a woman really wants to know. And if a woman, you really do want to know, then take it in. Don't question it don't criticize it and men have to be in touch with trying to figure out what it is that they actually are feeling.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a very difficult question because, you know, I mean, I know for myself, you know, I was 22 or 23 and somebody asked me how I felt. And I remember being in a counseling session and the therapist said, you know, well, how do you feel about this? And I'm saying, Oh, well, I I think everything's going to be okay. And and they said, "Yeah, but how do you feel about it?" And I said, "Well, I'm not too. I'm not too worried about this. I'm just. I think it's going to be okay." And, and he said, "No, but how do you feel about it?" I just looked at him. I said, "I have no fucking idea how I feel about this. I don't. I don't know anything about feelings. You know, I'm. I i do not know. I don't know a feeling as, as John Lee would say, I don't know a feeling. The, the difference between a feeling and a doorknob." Hmm. But it was really interesting for me to get that epiphany, and as I say, okay, so now my work is gonna become getting in touch with what I'm feeling. And the the way I did that was to chronically and consistently ask myself and check in with myself through the day, what am I feeling, what am I feeling, what am I feeling now, Mm. what am I feeling now? And I did that for years. And little by little, I started to become more in touch with what I'm feeling. And I don't claim to be in touch with everything that's happening for me even now. Mm. I'll tell people, when I used to have employees, and um, and I'll say this to Connie too, you know, or my, my, my partner or important people close to me, I'll say, look, you know, if you were if, when when you're working for me, or have an idea about something, I really want to hear your ideas, but understand something about me. I'm a real stubborn son of a bitch, and I hate change. I need change, but I hate it. I resist it. I like creature comforts and I like habits and stuff, and re- that works for me. So if you come to me. Um, with an idea, it may be the greatest idea I've ever heard, but my initial reaction is gonna be resistance. So don't expect me when you come to the idea, with the idea, don't expect me to start jumping up and down and get Mm -hmm. all excited when you bring it to me. Because I'll sit with it and the next day, I may come back and say, now I'll jump up and down, but I needed some time to work that through. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm really feeling. But my initial feeling is gonna be resistance. And if somebody comes to me, you know, kind of hits me with an idea about something and I'll say, you know, let me sleep on this because I know what I'm feeling right mm. now, but I don't, I think this is more reaction. Mm. I don't think this is what I'm really feeling, the big
0: picture. Do you think a lot of men feel that, that that's what they, their first response is resistance and then they, they need that time to really figure out what's going on, but it's beautiful to do what you said, to actually set the stage and say, this is what I know about myself and yeah. don't. Take it personally and give me some space and don't criticize my resistance. Know that that's phase one. Right. Yeah.
1: And if I can be really on my game, one of the rare times that I am. Oh, you're on your game, man. I know you are. <laughs> when, I, when I can do that, and I can, you know, and she'll come up with an idea about something, I'll say, okay, you know, just let me have the night. Let mm-hmm. me sleep on this. Because usually when I, it gives me, I can dream on something the next morning. I clear stuff out, and I have a much clearer perspective of what's really what I'm, is really happening for me, and what my truth is really is on a deeper level, and in my reaction in the in the moment might be very different than what my ultimate truth is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have a great example for you, when Con, also when Connie and I had been dating for probably I don't know five or six months or something, and again we were doing long distance stuff, and at, at a certain point. One of the things that I was really clear that when I went into this relationship with her was one of my first priorities is I, I came out of a relationship that was really hard for my partner to tell me the truth and for me to really be able to trust that she was telling me the truth. And that was ultimately the reason I felt like I needed to end the relationship. It was, I wanted to go deeper and my heart was crying for a deeper intimacy. And I just felt like I was never, I wasn't going to be able to get that with this person. So we we ended. And then when Connie and I got together, probably like maybe five or six months in, she was down here. I was still in New York and we would talk every night. And she was really big into contra dancing at the time. And she said to me one night, she said, "Oh, by the way, you know, um, there's a a guy, one of the contra dances, asked me out, and I think I want to go out with him. And I just want to check that out with you and and see how you feel about that. And a little, my heart just jumped into my stomach in the moment because I was really, you know, I felt like we had something really profound, and I was confused It's like, wow, are you not feeling what I'm feeling? Am, am I alone in this? And." just you know i was i wouldn't be thinking about seeing anybody else at that time even though we were 750 miles away and i just said look you know i i don't know what my truth is about that you know i know what i'd like to be able to, to say to you you know i'm an osho disciple you know i'd really like to be able to say to you if that's what you want you go for it have a great time enjoy yourself and i hope it goes really great i said but i'm just not that evolved and 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 maybe and, and it may take me a few more lives if I ever get there, but I don't think I'm going to get there in this lifetime. And um, part of you would saying, no, nah, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> and in my, so right now, I said, it really doesn't feel good to me. Mm. That's my first impression. She said, okay, and whatever. But she went ahead with them. We got off the phone eventually, and I hung up the phone. And within 10 minutes, all of a sudden, this elation came over me. And all of a sudden, I was just so ecstatic. And I didn't understand why this ecstasy was coming over me. And then I got it, I said, wow, I wanted a woman who could tell me the truth, even if it was something I didn't want to hear. You know, it Mm -hmm. wasn't gonna be very popular, but he still had the courage to tell me the truth, and I've got it.
0: And that made me ecstatic. creates a lot of safety for you. Yeah, Yeah.
1: you know, this is what I wanted. Yeah. And now I got
0: it. Mm-hmm.
1: And sometimes it's not going to feel good That's when, right. when she comes at me with the truth. Right. But I'd rather have that than have codependent manipulations right. going on and things and half-truths
0: and stuff, which is crazy-making. Right. The truth is it's an interesting animal. I, I was with a couple that we were processing around infidelity, and she didn't trust him. She said, so how am I going to trust you? How do I know what you're telling me is, is the truth? And he just looked at her just point blank. And he said, cause you're not going to like it. That's how you know. <laughs> That's how you know it's going to be the truth. And there's some truth in that, right? Yeah. There is some truth in that. Right. Sometimes. Right. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I think, you know, we were talking a lot about uh, what men want in relationships. And of course, we got into what we believe also women want, what people want in relationships. And I think one part of that is, I think we all want growth, even though we don't know it. I think that's why most people get into a relationship is that there's a part of them that they know being with somebody else is going to benefit their life mm. in a growth way. How do you see, I mean, you talked a little bit about what the future, uh, who said that? It's oh, gonna be. Pat Love. Yeah, Pat Love. What about your take? What do you think is going to happen with people in relationships of what they want out of growth in their relationship?
1: Let me read that thing that I gave you because that was sort of a helpful thing. A quote from my buddy Osho is called, this one's called Relationship. Relationship is the highest peak of friendship, friendliness is the highest peak of love. Just for me to get that, that changed my whole relationship to, to relationship in general. Relationship is the highest peak of friendship. Friendliness is the highest peak of love. Don't be attached to anything. Live, live totally, live lovingly, but don't possess. Don't dominate and don't allow anyone to possess or dominate you. And sometimes that's just as big as not dominating, right? It's very rare only a few people rise to the level of human love. Human love is friendship. Animal love is possessiveness animal love reduces the other to a thing to a commodity human love raises the other helps the other come to their flowering it does not use the other as a means to an end it respects the other as an end unto themselves it is true love true friendship to me that's always been a challenge you know it's like whenever i'm in my weird space or something like that, or, you know, with Connie, if I can come back to that and say, you know, what kind of friend am I being to her right this moment? What I do, what I'm doing to her, to any other, any of my other friends. And sometimes, you know, the answer is no, you know, because we end up laying stuff on the closest person to the people we feel the safest with is the people who we dump some of our stuff on. It's crazy, isn't it? It it really is nuts that that's what we do. You know, the people you'd think that we're the closest to, that we care the most about, you'd think those are the people we treat the best, but it's not always that way. So to me, this is is the direction I would like to see people going to, is is coming back to really deepening, using relationship as a way of becoming better friends Mm -hmm. and treating each other as best friends. It's always been a big deal for me, maybe, maybe too much. At a certain point in, in my 30s, I got to a place where it was like, I really needed to get to know somebody mm. and to feel comfortable with them before I, I got sexual. And some, some women really didn't want that. Mm-hmm. Some women were like, no, let's, let's come on, show up here. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I, I need
0: to get to know you better. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and they didn't like that. Yeah. And other women were fine with that.
0: I think that's a wonderful direction and also in my observation and when I see you and Connie out and what I know through my relationship also with Connie that you guys have a beautiful friendship and I love seeing that because that's so important to my relationship with Rainbow and I uh, second that motion of that's what I hope that people get out of the aspect of their relationships and growth is to understand how to be better friends for each other and Mm -hmm. really be there for each other. Mm Mm-hmm. So thanks, friend, for showing up with me today. My pleasure. It's yeah, doing honor. Thank you. Cool. Thanks hey, for bro. inviting me. Yeah.
1: All right. This is fun. Cool. We'll do it again. <laughs> okay. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed professional counselor, Prepo Teplitsky, visit heartsharecounseling.com theme music by Adi the Monk at AdiTheMonk.com. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by PodCraft. Create your own great podcast today, faster and easier
0: at podcraft.us. Mm.